The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. John chapter 13, please. John chapter 13. We've looked at the first two large sections of this. The first with the Lord washing the disciples' feet as an example of humble service. And then uh, the next uh, section having to do with the betrayer. The lesson that I drew from that in my study was that we must be genuine in our faith. Unlike Judas who was not genuine in his expression of faith uh, before God. And then we come to verses 31 through the end of the chapter. And there are several uh, thoughts here that we can have. John chapter 13, starting in verse 31 in particular. It says, So when he had gone out, that is speaking of Judas. Remember, Judas had received the piece of bread and then he went out immediately and it was night. Uh, Right at that time, right around that time, the... uh, The devil entered into him, verse 27 says, and so he left. Uh, Jesus said when that happened, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Now, uh, let me just mention before I get into the kind of confusing verse there in 31 and 32, I feel like there's something to be said about Judas having left. The devil was in him and he was a rebel against God. And so it seems to me that once he is gone... There's a new atmosphere in that room. There's a new uh, freedom. There's a new spiritual atmosphere there. And uh, the real upper room discourse can begin. I'm not saying that you know, 13 and beyond is the upper room discourse. Okay, John 13 through uh, 17. Uh, and probably not into 18. I think it would just be normally counted up through 17. But whatever the, the end point is, 13 is included, but I'm saying it's kind of like, okay, now the real time begins with the the real believers, the Lord instructing them about what's going to happen. Satan is out, uh, you know, indwelling Judas. He's not there now, and so they can begin, and he's going to share with them some very important truths in 14, 15, and 16, as well as the end of chapter 13. The first of those is that in 31 and 32, He says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. So, if you're, you know, a grammarian, you're going to be looking at this and saying, okay, who is, who is who? You know, who is Him and who is Himself and all of that. If God is, verse 32, if God is glorified in Him that is in the Son of Man, God will also glorify Him that is the Son of Man in Himself and glorify Him that is the Son of Man immediately. <laughs> wow. Now, you might identify the, uh, the, uh, the pronouns a little differently or maybe one or two of those, but you have to ferret through that and try to figure out what's going on here. So, 
there's the, what, what I've said before is there's a mutual glorification that's going on. The Father and the Son and the Son and the Father. One other element of this that's interesting is the tense of this. He starts out in 31, Jesus does, saying, the Son of Man is glorified. And then He says in 32, God will glorify Him. And this, the picture at the end of the verse, and glorify Him immediately, the picture there is that He's not quite yet glorified. So what is going on? Is it future or is it present? Are you tracking? Is it, is it He's glorified already or He will be? Well, I think the, the tenses here, the future and the present, are harmonized by recognizing that as soon as Judas went out, the wheels were set in motion for the whole plan of redemption to come to its culmination. Now it was set. There was no going back. It's full speed ahead. It's as good as culminated. Jesus knew that the betrayal would occur and the events of the upcoming hours would unfold. All the badness of the first Good Friday. You think about what happened there. It is so troubling to your soul. All, of course, done on our behalf. But it doesn't make it feel good still. Here you have a perfectly healthy 33-year-old man who within the space of a few hours would be beaten and crucified to death. For what? He was killed for his identity, by the way. This is the Son of God, the Son of Man, and he was killed for that. It's very it's shocking, it's it's terrible. The depths to which human depravity will go. Don't be surprised at anything you see in the upcoming days, my friends. The depths of human depravity are, are beyond measure. And that doesn't mean that we're going to like it or that we're going to be happy about it. It'd be very, it's going to be very distressing to watch uh, humanity descend into almost an abyss of hatred and anger in our own days. And they did here against our Christ. But all of that was going to in a very paradoxical way, to the disciples for sure at the moment, was going to result in the glorification of Christ. That He was going to be lifted up and God would be lifted up in Him. The two of them glorifying each other and in themselves together. In the work of redemption, the Son of Man would be exalted. He would be glorified. He would be lifted up. Yes, he was lifted up in a physical sense, you know that, but I'm saying lifted up in, an, in a spiritual sense in terms of honor. God the Father also would be honored and glorified in the person of the Son of Man. Consequently, God would also glorify the Son in the Father and do so immediately. So don't get turned around really in the phrasing. It means that the Son and the Father would be glorified by and with each other before the observing mankind. Now, we're looking in this section at this idea that Jesus is leaving. Jesus is leaving. And the disciples and we cannot be with Him immediately. He says so in verse 33 and then elsewhere as well. But 
with this in mind that he's leaving, that he's going to have this terrible thing happen to him and he's going to go away, remind yourself that no matter that Christ is absent, He is glorified. He is lifted up. He is to be greatly honored for the work of redemption, for what He has done on our behalf. Now, the plan is in motion. Satan is is going to uh, strike the heel of the Messiah. You know what passage I'm talking about, I trust. Just before the Messiah crushes the head of the serpent. But in verse 33, Jesus kind of calls out specifically what's going to happen. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. In just a few hours, he would be betrayed, arrested, after which he would have no contact with the disciples, mainly. He did have one little contact with the disciples, didn't he? He looked at Peter when Peter betrayed him. Off in the distance, he looked him right in the face and Peter knew that he was convicted down to the bottom of his feet for what he had done. That's Luke 22.61. Maybe the Lord saw a couple of the other disciples. You know, John went up close to the circumstance there and in the courtyard of the high priest's home and all of that, wherever they all were. But basically, he was left alone. This... The father struck the shepherd and the sheep were scattered. Then he would be killed. His body would be placed into a grave. He would be resurrected briefly and have a short stint in the land of the living, 40 days coming and going amongst them. And then he would go to heaven. The disciples would not be able to follow him there. Although Peter desperately wanted to. Uh, let me correlate this uh, whole thought with a couple other portions of Scripture in John chapter 7, verse 33. John 7, he says, Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little longer, and then I go to him who sent me. Verse 34, John 7, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he said, you will seek me and not find me and where I am you cannot come? It didn't make any sense to them. John 8, 21. Jesus said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then John 16. Now, there's, I've, I've actually introduced a second thought. I snuck it in without telling you what it is yet. Okay, so hang on. Uh, John 16, 16 to 22. 
Jesus said, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, what is, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? You can kind of tell that uh, by the repetition here, this is a conversation rapidly going back and forth and they're totally confused. Like what's going on here? What's he talking about? Verse 20, most assuredly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. So Jesus is speaking about going away in His death. He's not going to the dispersion to teach the Greeks. He's certainly not going to kill Himself. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so He's going to die and then shortly afterward be resurrected. So the disciples would at first not be able to see Him. You know, He's betrayed, He's arrested, He's away from them, then He's crucified. They, they can see Him there, but then He's put away in a grave. They can't see Him. And then for a short time, they would be able to see Him. But then again, after His ascension, they would not be able to see Him. They would have to wait until they died themselves or until the Lord's return as described by the angels in Acts chapter 1. Remember, this, they watched Him go up and He said, this same Jesus went up, He's going to come down. But don't stand there staring up into heaven. He's not going to come that quick. You're going to get a real kink in your neck if you keep trying to do that. Get busy working for the Lord, uh, being His witnesses as He told you to do. So, that's the absence. Now, a couple of things. One is the reality of this absent Jesus reminds us to be patient. In fact, it demands patience on our part. And I think I alluded to this last Sunday, or this past Sunday night where I said something to this effect, if you do not have that kind of longing for Jesus to see Him, then you do not really know the Lord. For if you know Him, you want to be close to Him. But given that we do know Christ, the true believer has to maintain a level of patience for the hope that is to be revealed when salvation is brought fully to flower in our lives. You know, Romans 8 tells us we hope uh, the whole creation groans and travails together. Try to tell me that's not true, okay? That must mean that you've closed your eyes to the conditions of the world and don't know anything. The, the world is in travail. The natural creation, the animal creation, human creation, government, all the rest is in turmoil, nearly nonstop, Problems all over the place and we groan for that redemption that is uh, the redemption of our bodies. 1 Peter 1.5 We wait for that glorious hope that is to be brought to us at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, we suffer trials now. 1 Peter 4.13, chapter 5, verse 1. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. James chapter 5. Now, we know all of that. And I, I wonder if we're patient or we're just not paying attention that the Lord is coming. Are we patient or we're just not paying attention? We're, we're not thinking about that reality. Peter, however, is not as well informed in his day, in his moment, as we are now. And so he says in verse 30, uh, I've got to go back to John 13, verse 36, Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. He asked the question, where, where are you going, Jesus? He does not realize that Jesus is going to go through what He has said before in Matthew 16. Remember, He's going to be betrayed by the, into the hands of men, governing authorities. They're going to mock Him and spit on Him, crucify Him, bury Him. All that. Peter, back then, remember, Peter said, no, it won't be that way to you, Lord. Remember? Jesus said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. But in John, uh, we see, notice this. Where, where, does, where did He say He's going? Where did, where did Jesus say that He's going? Did you pick that up in any of the verses we read? To the Father. Very good. John 16.10 Speaking to the ministry of the Spirit of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more. Also connected to that. Verse number 28. 16.28 I came forth from the Father and I have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Jesus is going to the Father. And so our focus should be the same. You know, we, we um, kind of generic Christianity loves to talk about are you going to heaven? The issue is not so much are you going to heaven. It's are you going to be with the Father? Are you going to be with Jesus? With the Father in heaven. Jesus is going back to the Father from whence He came originally and He will be glorified with the Father with the glory that He had before the world was. John 17.5 so not only do we have to have patience about the coming of Christ or our seeing Him again, but we need to our, our thinking needs to be impacted by this as well. The important thing is not that we're going to heaven, not where heaven is. In fact, most people are going, I'm going to heaven. They don't realize actually you're going to go to the new heavens and the new earth, really, and live there with the Lord. The important thing is we're going to be with Jesus and with the Father. Think of First Thessalonians. He's going to come in the clouds. The dead are going to rise. The dead in Christ will rise. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds and, and we will meet them and be with the Lord forever after that. That's the point of that, that section. We'll be with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, just a few verses later, Notice this, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. doesn't matter where heaven is. It matters who's there. Yes, wherever Jesus is, that's where you're going to be. Up in heaven, down in the earth, during the kingdom, wherever. It's going to be, that's how you're, where you're going to be. 
But we have to be patient until then because we can't go there now. Okay? Peter could not go at that time. Now, why is it that Peter could not go? Did I say this in my notes somewhere else? I'm going to tell you right now anyway, wherever it is in my notes. Think of Peter. He's saying, Lord, I will go with you. But Jesus had just said to him two times, you can't go. Now, when the Lord says you can't, please don't say I can. When He says no, don't say yes. You cannot go now. You cannot go now. And there's another reason why Peter couldn't go. Because Jesus had planned for him how he would live and how he would die to glorify Christ. And it was not going to be for 30 more years, roughly, that Peter would live. And remember, Jesus in John chapter 21 said, you're going to go where you don't want to go and, and, and talk about stretching out his arms. He's going to be crucified just like his Lord was. Tradition says upside down so he wouldn't be like Jesus exactly, but whatever. The fact of the matter is, Jesus had a plan for him. He has a plan for you too. It may not be your time anytime soon because he has some things for you to do. He, however, I think, you know, we could all easily lose the focus on this, notice what he says in verse um, 36. You cannot go now. You cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Well, that's a good word. So, everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ in this room and watching on the video, if you are in Christ, you will follow Him too. Okay, Where He is, there you will be also. So that patience will be richly rewarded. It just needs to be patience right now. And you will be with Him. That is a great comfort. If you, if you miss that, you really miss a lot here. You will go after. So Peter, ultimately Peter say, okay, I'm glad. I can't go now, but I'm going to go. Okay? Just has to, I have to wait. So this is the patience of the saints. You know, we cannot be with him immediately, but we can in the future. We shall. And so we're going to have to stop there because of the constraint of time, unfortunately. But we're going to look at loving one another next. And we're going to look at Peter's failure, well, his prediction to fail uh, in the next uh, section as well. So hang on to those thoughts. Be patient. Be humble. Be servants like Jesus. And be genuine in your faith as we learned about the betrayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, John 13 is so rich. These things are encouraging, certainly instructive. Help us to just hold the line as it were until such time as you're done with our ministries here or when the Lord returns. Lord, I pray that You would help us to indeed have that patience of the saints. That we would wait expectantly for the Lord. Watch for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we love You and we love our Savior. Thank You for Him. For what You've done for us in His name. 
Lord, we thank You for the zeal of one Peter. But at the same time, we pray that You would keep us humble and away from the extreme of His errors. We've made enough errors already, Lord, in our lives. Please restrain us from making any more. In Jesus' name, Amen.